Welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast special Alpine Bushfires series, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people from the Victorian Alpine region who went through the bushfires which occurred from late 2019 through to early 2020. These stories highlight the different challenges and events people went through and how they overcame them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help you. If you love this conversation, please like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero's story. My guest today on the Alpine series is with John McAvoy, a farmer from the Kiwa Valley who lives in the Alpine region. And he tells the story of his experiences during and long after the catastrophic Black Saturday fires. And whilst his property did not directly become impacted, he talked about the tireless efforts that he went to to protect and support his neighbours and the wider community. He's kept these meticulous notes of names and days, paying tribute to these people, naming many of them. He's a selfless, very humble man who made a massive personal contribution during the fires. He took time off out of his out of his uh, day job as a teacher. And his story ends with a beautiful and touching account of a flock of sheep uh, called the Marauders and a draft horse, which defended the sheep from the fire. Wonderful story, so lovely to hear and what it's like to be a member of the community, to be on the land, and how these people have stood up and helped their fellow man, their neighbours, and done what they could in the face of such adversity. My hat goes off to John, and I'm really grateful that he shared his story with me so that you could listen and learn from him. Enjoy this one with John McAvoy. The lead up to Saturday, February 7th, 2009, uh, had been a very hot fortnight and the last week was particularly hot, 41 degrees and above. So it wasn't unexpected that something could happen. Um, we'd had a little fire on Mount Emu at Tawonga on the Monday night, which we managed. Um, but by Saturday, when the mercury pushed to to 47 degrees, uh, we were all very nervous. And we sort of, yeah, we did a little bit of work in the morning on the Saturday, just last things. Yeah, there must have been a premonition. We were covering up any uh, exposed water pipes, um, just getting ready. Um, and then we went home because it wasn't really a working day. And by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, when that temperature really climbed, to that 47, um, we just sat by the radio pretty much thinking, um, are we going to get through this or um, can we get through this? And then we started to hear things coming through from um, Kilmore and Wandong and um, we knew that it had broken out. So far, so good for us uh, until yeah, we got through the afternoon and then just oh, 6, 6.30, we, we thought, oh, we're going to make this without any disasters, and uh, I think I um, walked out the back veranda and looked up and saw this 
mag- uh, this massive plume in the sky directly to our west, and we thought, oh, no. Then uh, yeah, pretty f- soon figured what that was from a power line gone down. Um, it's it just the whole weather thing was, was a reminder of Ash Wednesday. Um, there's only one other day in my life where I can remember like this, apart from um, this day, Ash Wednesday, and one when I was about 12, I think it was, um, oh, I thought it was about 50 degrees, but it mightn't have been quite that hot. I was, I was young. Anyway, um, so um, we had a plastic uh, stock trough in the backyard that afternoon. Um, the kids and us were just hopping in and out of this uh, stock trough with the coolest water we'd have, trying, it's just trying to cool down. But then once the alarm came, uh, we just we just got to work. Um, buckets of water, field spoutings. Um, I had to go and get all – because we were directly in line with that northwest wind, which was a howling gale by then, we had to uh, muster all our stock in. So I went off mustering all our stock, So which meant I couldn't go on the fire truck um, – I don't tend to go when it's, when I'm directly in line, um, with the fire. I always hope that people behind or beside will, will cut in there and do the work. So, um, our fire truck was called, um, of course, and, um, strike team leader was, um, and I'm trying to remember some of the names, um, because some of them did tremendous work and I'm, I'm not going to remember everybody, um, which is unfortunate, but, um, some people stood out for their efforts. The strike team leader was Warren Larkin at the time, and on our truck um, we had Greg Green, the driver, and Mark Vanderbilt and uh, Corey Jones and Clive Hawkins. Um, and, yeah, they were in there in the thick of it, and when the fire came down from Mount Stanley and got into Barwidgee, um, strike team leader Warren just called quits. He said, Get out of here because this is not safe. They could see the fireballs. They actually came down through that narrow valley, um, over the top of, um, Kelvin and Jill Goonan's place, which I'll talk about later. Um, they were extremely lucky, but it cleaned up. Um, the fireball came straight through that valley, cleaned up John and Sue, um, there, there at, uh, um, because, well, the valley just ran out of air and their house exploded and poor John and Sue went with it. And um, by this stage, our truck and the boys had retreated to uh, Mudjigonga Hall where Andrew Cross was, was coordinating uh, things, but it was, there was a, it was a real pressure time. Um, and so it went on. The, the fire sort of swung towards Rose White, a little bit away from our direction. Yeah, moved on into the night. The night was ferocious. The temperature didn't drop. I think the lowest it got that night was 43 degrees, um, right through the night. And then the sky became red hot in the west. Um, so we were still at home getting more water ready and, um, yarding up stock, but the red hot sky was pretty frightening. And yeah, so that went on through the night. We just sat on guard. And we were getting some ember attacks, so we really couldn't leave home because we had a few grass paddocks that we'd kept for our cows and sheep, and the embers were starting to float in. We just had to be aware of all that. And so the fire pushed through on Sunday night into 
first of all, Rosewhite and then uh, Running Creek and Cancuna. And, yeah, sort of went away from us for a while. But then late on Sunday night, um, and all the boys up Running Creek were under extreme pressure, Sunday night there was a wind change and brought the wind, sort of helped up there a little bit, but brought the wind, brought the fire back in our direction. Um, and then it jumped the Yakandanda Detarang Road, was heading for Big Bend, which would have taken it all the way to Wodonga. Fortunately, uh, Mark Vanderman and um, a couple of the other boys, Andrew Wilkins and later Ross Wilkinson and Jack Hicks, they managed to round it up when it jumped the road towards Big Ben. And, yeah, uh, Ross Wilkinson on, on an excavator, it was just so dangerous, but they pulled it up. And I remember going up there at one stage and the rocks on the hill were red hot. It was just a horrible, uh, the heat was enormous. But anyway, Ross Wilkinson pulled it up with the, with the help of those boys. Yeah, they, they really did avoid a disaster by cutting that off then. Um, we felt, um, then on the Monday night, the fire came, the wind changed again. The wind was coming around through Detarang and heading back in our direction, um, coming in from the southeast. But we felt fairly safe because by that stage, we lived pretty close to the, we're only about a kilometre from the Detarang um, power station which is actually the biggest in the Southern Hemisphere. And we felt safe then because there were 50 New South Wales fire trucks in a ring around that power station just below our house in the paddock below us, um, guarding that station. So that was, uh, that was a, a relief at that point. Um, the fire didn't actually end up getting that far. Um, but we certainly felt safe with these 50 trucks in a ring around the power station. Um, and the fire sort of lingered on for another week. Um, but I really want to talk about, um, now that the good things that happened because there were so many good things that happened, um, during that week on that night and during that week and for, for really weeks and months afterwards. Yeah. I was given a week off school, um, because well, school knew that I was under threat and they were very good. Um, so. Yeah, just protecting our own place mostly still. And then I had a good friend who, who came with a couple of trucks and took away all our cows, which took the pressure off me and allowed me to um, pitch in and do a few other things um, for different people. Um, and even our son, um, people came from everywhere. All our friends came with um, trucks and pumps and um, parked themselves here. Um, yeah, some of my friends from school and other friends um, yeah, they all came to help, and even our son Ben, who had been drafted to St Kilda in the AFL two months earlier, um, he was supposed to be flying to the Gold Coast with his team to do a pre-season training, but he bailed out um, and came uh, came tearing home to help us, um, which was fairly flattering. Um, and yeah, by the time he left. We were, we were a little bit safer. Um, I went back to school for a week, but then applied for six weeks long service, um, just to do, um, well, by this stage, we hadn't been directly affected, but, um, I've always just enjoyed helping people full stop. Um, probably was a teacher. Um, and I just wanted to, um, to help because there was so much to do. 
Um, so I could then coordinate with all um, lots of teams, but particularly running the um, the hay depot um, with Graham Heiner. So we had a hay depot at Gra- Graham Heiner's house um, in the Kewa Valley. Um, he was good to he had his tractor there, and um, so I coordinated all the trucks. Trucks came from all over Victoria, New South Wales, um, bringing hay. So because while we lost a lot of stock, um, we didn't. Uh, there was a lot of stock that went went lost, and they had no, nothing to eat in a lot of places. So people were amazingly generous. So I used to coordinate the trucks. Um, at that stage, I never even owned a mobile phone. So I had to borrow my wife's um, and trying to coordinate all these truck drivers and coming from everywhere at all hours of the day and the night. Um, it was a bit of a job. Um, and then to get the hay out to the cows and stock that was needed. But anyway, we did all that and that went on um, all over that next six weeks that I took leave. Um, and um, so I spent most of that six weeks uh, just basically in my youth and on the phone um, to learn how to work a mobile phone. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was just busy in my ute for that six weeks because the donations were pouring in from everywhere. And so I was driving around, dropping off. By that stage, in the next six weeks, people were trying to um, put containment fences up um, to try and hold what stock they had left. So I'd be dropping off steel posts and coils of wire and um, and later on bags of seed. And um, it just went, yeah, it went on and on. Um, and there was all sorts of things that people were donating. There was a, in Mudjigonga Hall, it was full of all those emergency things, you know, those things like toilet paper and all the other things that, um, people need immediately. Um, so we were distributing those kind of things as well. And then there were just, oh, yeah, there was teams coming from everywhere. Um, there was rotary teams and lions teams and farmers teams. Uh, it was just, the community effort and um, not just the local community but massive wide one wide community effort was was astonishing um, we had a big meeting in the Majigonga hall somewhere in the middle of that six weeks I don't remember the date um, and I was uh, was chairing that meeting because we had Christine Nixon um, who was the police officer at the time and um, we had the um, Richard Wynne, who was the minister for for development at the time, and it was amusing because the biggest problem we had at the time was uh, in Majigonga there was no phone connection at all, and we were waiting at this meeting for nearly an hour for Richard Wynne to to arrive, and finally arrived, and he said, "Oh, I got lost." He said, "There there was no phone reception in this valley," and I. The GPS wouldn't work and I didn't know where to go. And we said, Hey, hey, you know, this is why you're here. This is one of the problems. Um, so that was all quite, that was quite uh, ironical that, that, uh, pulled him up. So we had a, yeah, we had a big, um, sort of, we, we'd had made a video with the help of, um, uh, Paul Carroll was coordinating that, I think. Um, yeah, so that was, uh, that, that was, uh, yeah, we're just drumming up support at that stage. And the other thing that we did at oh, the Shire was also very good at this time. There were a few people that were particularly helpful. One of them was the uh, was a um, councillor, um, Jan Vonax. She was terrific. Um, Daryl Farmer, who worked for the Shire, and Karen Grimer, who was coordinating things. 
um, all fantastic people. Um, but we personally, um, I don't know how it happened, but we got hold of um, people from a chap from Port Macquarie up on the New South Wales North Coast rang me and said, um, myself and my brother and one other chap, um, we're, we're um, lumberjacks, people who cut down trees safely. And um, they said, oh, we'd love to come and help. Um, so we opened our house and those three gentlemen stayed with us for three weeks and every day went out with their chainsaws um, because there was a lot of dangerous trees everywhere, particularly along the forest lines. So every day off they went, um, brought all their own gear, drove down. Every day they came home black as black um, from cutting down black trees and clearing fence lines. Um, and so we looked after them for three weeks and I sort of coordinated their work on all the different properties um, in between other bits of coordination. But that was um, that was uh, uh, Jim and Laurie Steep and their, and their friend Brian. They were absolutely superb and got a lot of people out of trouble because not many people can do that kind of work. Um, so, yeah, that, that was really helpful to so many people to be able to – they couldn't – even school – I had school kids come out in teams and you couldn't let, ask them to work where it was dangerous. So um, and the other thing we had to coordinate was, was um, skips, which the council was very good with, um, the skips to get rid of – Every old fence had to be rolled up, wire and posts, and um, so that took some coordinating. You know, I, I still have two books of names and farms and um, helpers and jobs. I went through them last night and I thought, my goodness, um, we really did so much in that time. And uh, um, I was quite surprised just how much work. The, the, both the adrenaline was flowing and, uh, yeah, there was just so much to do. Um, so I'd, I would like to mention uh, two people, Kim Bucold and Glenn Lyon from Talangata Valley, who they'd been impacted, I think it was in 2006, so they knew what it was like. And they did a, um, a cow donation from their valley. People donated a cow from each farm. They made $18,000 and they put together two fencing trailers for our valley um, with all the um, big compressor and um, post-driving equipment. Um, so that that was um, that was fabulous. Um, they made an enormous contribution. Um, at the end of six weeks, I had to go back to school, um, but every weekend I was back on the road, um, still distributing fencing um, bags of grass seed by this stage because people were were looking to sow down. Um, but a new problem had arisen too, which uh, which was out of my control. We had some um, heavy little rainstorms and. I don't know if people realise, but this hilly country, when it's been burnt, you have this black ash, um, and when it gets wet, it's very, very slippery. So it was sliding down and filling everybody's dams. So then water became an issue. Um, so, um, yeah, we had to start coordinating excavators, and um, but it really didn't work because that went on for the next couple of years. Um, it just kept sliding and filling up everybody's dams. Um, that became a real problem. And I also want to mention Calvin and Jill Goonan. Um, they lived in probably one of the worst spots. Um, and they hid under blankets under there in their, in their house. And the fire actually hit a hedge on the western side of their house and jumped over the house. Um, and that's, 
And soon after that was when John and Sue lost their home and, and their lives. Um, but John and Sue and their son, they were so lucky that they didn't go up with it. Um, but what they did do was come and talk to my students at school um, to try and get the students to understand the impact of fire and what it does to people. And I don't think I realised till a couple of years on uh, how brave they were and how hard that was because I called on them, you know, a number of times over the next few years and uh, they were still suffering and probably still do. Um, you know, any time fire is mentioned, you see people well up. Um, yeah, just because, uh, well, because it was such a massive impact. Um, so, yeah, I, I thank you to them. Um, there were so many amazing stories of help and love that came out of, of those fires, but the community spirit and support um, without that was the feature. Um, I hope we never have to repeat it. Uh, yeah, with all that work, and I didn't, as I said, I didn't realise how much I did in that six weeks and beyond because it went on for months um, and probably a couple of years really. Um, and, yeah, I was uh, I was rewarded, rewarded for all that with um, a um, Paul Harris Fellowship from Rotary, which was quite um, stunning at the time. Um, and quite, yeah, very honoured to have received that. Um, but, oh, and I didn't mention, um, Q Forrest was the man behind all that. He did even more coordination than I did, and he's the one who should have got that award. Um, but Hugh, uh, he lived right in Mudjigonga and his farm was impacted. But his coordination of so many teams, fencing teams, um, you know, we worked together a lot of the time, but he was the, he was the mainstay. Um, and yeah, credit to him. So many more people I would love to mention, but, uh, yeah, you just can't. There, there are too many. Um, I've tried to pick out some of the ones that, that, um, probably I worked with and, um, who featured in so much work. Um, yeah, so, um, hope it never gets repeated and, um, what an experience. Sorry for the interruption. This is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes, and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges, and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kintsugiheroes.com. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback. You can email me direct using ian at kintsugiheroes.com.au. Now let's get back to the story. What a, what a brilliant account, John. Wow. You know, the one thing that stood out to me from everything you shared then was just the the power of community and what it really means to be in a community. That's what, you, what you've demonstrated and everyone that you talked about, pitching in, doing what it takes, not sitting back and relying on the government or relying on somebody else to, to help. It's, it's, you know, this is your life, your land, your, your, your stock, you know, your families, your livelihood. And, and hearing that just, you know, really warms my heart as much as, it's a painful event. Like you said, so much good comes out of that. And um, 
good on you for taking the leave and spending that time to do all that coordination. It's just brilliant. Um, so your valley's name is Mudjigong, is that right? Uh, no, I actually live in Glen Creek. Um, oh, okay. With a valley that runs between sort of Mudjigonga and and the Kiwa Valley. Um, so okay. our little valley was, I think we were lucky, basically because of wind changes that it never really ripped through our valley. It went both sides of us uh, and came over the back of the hill. But, yeah, we escaped um, in that in Glen Creek. Yeah. And John and Sue, who you mentioned, were they sort of a little bit beyond your valley or were they right in the valley? No, they were right in uh, Mudjigonga, pretty much between Mudjigonga and Bawiji. Um Very narrow little valley, yeah, where um, we think, you know, probably people know better than me, but we think the fire just stole all the oxygen out of that valley. Yeah. The house exploded, mm. beautiful brick home, and mm. their pump stopped because it didn't have any air anymore. Um, wow. That's what really cost them. It, the pump just ground to a halt because there was no no air to, no oxygen to run the motor. Um, oh yeah, God. it was just, yeah. And uh, credit to our boys, at, particularly Warren, um, who got the team out in time because they could so easily have gone up. They said it was a fireball, I think like, like 10, 15 metres high. Just coming at them. Wow. Uh, they just had to get out. Wow. Mm. And yeah, the community, um, yeah, and community and friends, you know, um, the number of our friends that turned up, you know, even though we didn't get impacted in the end, but had we been impacted, uh, we were, we were pretty well defended with a lot of friends and a lot of equipment. So yeah, we're very lucky. And you had the 55 trucks at the edge of your property sitting there around the power station as well, which would have given you a bit of peace of mind. Yeah, yeah, just uh, they were never going to let that power station go up. Um, it's a very valuable piece of equipment because it supplies all the power to Melbourne. Um, right. a, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's a mm. 330,000 volt line that runs all the way to Melbourne. Um, so mm-hmm. very important piece of equipment. Indeed. Um, so how, how close did the fire come to your property? Uh, as a crow flies, probably three kilometres was the closest, right over the back of the hill, um, and then sort of five kilometres either side. Um, yeah, so. And that's pretty close. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the black embers, like big smouldering leaves that were um, still smoking and, and red. Um, dropping into the paddock the whole time. We were just driving around with a water tank, putting out um, the embers that were dropping into the paddocks, and uh, we, mm. along with all our friends, yeah, managed to avert any uh, anything further. And I love the story about Jim, Laurie, and Brian coming uh, from Port Macquarie, uh, offering their services and staying at your house. I mean, how beautiful is that? Uh, and did they? They didn't do it for money, did they? No, no. Um, and they did that three weeks, and sadly, uh, Jim's passed away now. Um, but I talked to his brother Laurie still often, and Jim actually came back. Uh, I reckon, sort of a month afterwards, he said, "Oh, mm-hmm. I, I just want to come and help again." Um, and yeah, sometimes wonder whether it was what brought him undone in the end. But um, he was just a wonderful, generous man, and uh, yeah, and work. Um, and he wasn't young. Those those blokes were. Well, they were in their 60s and um, just hard work. 
but yeah, they were they became really good friends, and we had a wonderful time with them. Yes, that's it's so wonderful. Was there anyone else doing that? Because I'm I'm always fascinated about uh, the regeneration of the land, and certainly when fire comes through and it takes it back to a certain state. As you know, because you've lived through this now and seen how the fire changed the landscape and the land and the, the um, what happens to the trees. Um, was it really important for the the, the, lo- the logging or sort of pruning and cleaning up of a lot of those dead trees? Was there more need to be done? Like, you know, or was it enough what the three guys did? Oh, no, that was that was only the beginning, really. They just cleared the right. fence line. So that, um, yeah, you know, I know when Jim came back, we did we did 150 trees in one stretch um, just at the top end of this valley in Glen Creek. Uh, and then, of course, they had to be all um, bulldozed away or people came and cut, cut them up for wood, so there was wood there too. But, um, no, no, huge amount of work once it was cleared. And then the fencing went on for, well, for years and, some are probably still being done, uh, but mostly was done. And um, yeah, lots of lots of teams came from everywhere to, to rebuild those fences and clear up those yeah. trees and, and just get rid of rubbish was a was a big headache. You know, the uh, the rolling up old wires not much fun. Um, you know, you had to no. have safety equipment, gloves, and um, masks. And uh, I think that was our first introduction to masks. Um, just because of the black dust and um, not very good for people's lungs. You know, you can look now and most of the bush looks as though it's recovered, but you'll still see stark dead trees poking up out of the regrowth. Um, mm-hmm. But um, it is amazing how it recovers. And we're sort of reasonably high rainfall district, so um, it can, it has a chance to recover. One of the biggest problems was that sliding debris coming out of the, the, the hills and filling up people's dams. and. Only um, a couple of years ago, we did a lot more work up at um, Koryong, Kajiwa, when they had devastating fires. And they're still, they've still got um, landslides and that coming down the hills because that's even steeper country than here. It, it's a real headache, that part of it, because it's not just black ash, it's rocks and um, all the, you know, all that protection's gone from up in the gullies, up on the hills, and um, the water just comes crashing down. Um, so yeah, that was a big issue for a long time, and still is up at Adjuwal Koryong. Yeah, has it affected the water? Uh, uh, was, it, was there any kind of dams that you were using for water? Has it affected that? Oh, yeah, people had to lock up a lot of dams um, just for quite a few years. You know, that last one in Adjuwal Koryong turned the Murray River black. Um, wow! Yeah, it literally turned it black um, for months, and that was only. Two years ago, when when we had those 2019 um, fires, that more than two years now, wasn't it? <laughs> we lost a bit with COVID. Yeah, people just had to. Oh, there was a lot of carting water. Yeah, see, homes had to cart water too because a lot of their water was just blackened and useless. For so there, yeah, uh, water carting going on as well. I didn't get involved in that one. Um, I don't think. What's been uh, one of the, I, I guess, one of the gifts, or you know, the biggest kind of positives that come out of all of this for you, John, personally? Uh, oh, probably just a heightened appreciation of, of what uh, human nature can do when, you know, when adversity strikes. Um, 
and, you know, particular people stand up, you know, to be counted and, um, well, yeah, some people go, go the extra mile and, and further. Um, yeah, that was, you know, I don't think I mentioned Loretta Carroll in all this. Um, uh, Loretta, she ran the Hay Depot at Majigonga and I'm sure somebody will allude to that. Um, and Loretta was a quiet single person who just did her own thing on the farm, but she stood up and still does. She's now an advocate for, yeah, lots of things, but she really stood up. She ran the hay depot and she coordinated a lot of things and she's a different person, you know. She grew through that time uh, and and became a real community person and you know, I can't remember what they call it, but there was some money left at the end which she um, – they now do community work. I can't remember what they call that, but Loretta would tell you. Um, and she's the head of that, um, which goes on and on. So it's never forgotten. And yeah, yeah she, was, she was an absolute stalwart, that girl. She was wonderful. Well, you've given, you've given so many other people, um, a voice by, from that you're recounting of who helped. And, um, it just shows the, I, I guess the way that you are. John, because you know you, you you took six weeks off as well as the first week, and you know you've done a lot as well, and you're very selfless, and that's really evident. Um, so I just want to honour you for that and for everything that you've done. And I know you got your, the medal for it, which you, you're very humble about, uh, but I'd say it's it's deserved. And I'm sure there's other people that deserve medals as well. But I just want to say thank you for what you've done, uh, and I'm sure that you've. You know, touched a lot of people's lives through, you know, the years after the those fires. I hope that uh, somebody else remembers a little story. I don't know whether whether they will. Uh, one of the people I called on and lived on over over the hill from Running Creek. I called on this um, quite an elderly fellow um, who lived right in the middle of the bush, and and I I had some um, equipment and stuff for him. And I, I said he was a, a chap who was once in the police band in Melbourne and he, he was the drummer. Um, and he had this draft horse. Um, and I said to him, how did you survive? He, he couldn't leave because his wife had, had just had a um, hip replacement and he couldn't get him in the car. So he had to stay. And, and I said, how did you survive? And he said, Oh, the marauders, they helped me survive. So what do you mean the marauders? And he was very smart. He had a kind of a boundary around his house, um, which was only about 20 metres wide, but he had these um, 15 or so sheep in there, which he called the marauders, who had the ground um, completely bare. And then he went to tell me that, um, well, what about, I said, hey, what about the sheep? How did they survive? He said, well, they stood in the corner and my horse, the draft horse, he stood, he rounded them up and stood them in the corner and, and stood in front of them to protect them. Um, it was just the most beautiful story, and I can't remember the chap's name. I'd probably find in one of my books, but I hope somebody else alludes to that story at some stage because uh, oh, it was just a, one of those beautiful moments when, you, um, yeah, the marauders saved me and, and my draft horse and my big fella. Um, he protected the, the, the sheep as well, and they all survived, which if you saw where it was, it was incredible. Everything was burnt to a cinders around him. Um, yeah, just yeah, that was that was one of one of my happiest little moments in all that uh, in that work helping people. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing 
with me today. Uh, I know it's not easy to go back in the past and it was a tough time for everyone. And um, yet I think by sharing, you know, it it helps. It helps to, you know, get it out and um, other people can listen and feel into that story and it helps them to heal as well Um, because I know it takes a lot of, it takes time um, when it's a natural disaster like this and it's so big and devastating. That's really amazing how long it takes. Quite amazing. And, and I think you'll mm. find doing this that the, the people who are impacted will still want to talk. Um, yeah, it's still part yeah. of the healing process. Quite amazing. But thank you very much, yeah. Evelyn. Um, yeah, been an absolute pleasure and uh, yeah, delight to work with you and, and uh, I hope it all goes well. Thank you so much, John. Uh, and yeah, you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kintsugi Heroes with the Alpine Bushfires special series. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below. And join us for our next hero story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way. Only when you're broken Only when